welcome to the Psych and Business Podcast, where we highlight the integration of psychology and psychological principles into the world of business and organizations. I'm your host, Dr. Ernest Wade. So today we're going to continue on our series on transitioning to leadership and management. We're going to be focused on managing the business, and we have with us one of our very first guests, Dr. D. Ramsell. Now, if you haven't already listened to that episode with D, I highly suggest that you go back and listen to that episode. It was really a really great episode. But today, Dee is going to be talking to us specifically about managing the business. So Dee, welcome to the show. Thank you. And thank you for having me back. I've enjoyed your other podcasts. Thank you, Dee. I really appreciate that. Now, I want to dive right in because I, I know that your specific area of focus here is really about uh, managing the business. So I always want to start with why. So why is that important for transitioning leaders and managers to understand this? Oh, well, it is very important because... When we have psychology training, we get a lot of training in teams and individuals and personality. And then, of course, clinical psychology, if you're in clinical program or counseling and so on. But most, certainly I didn't, get very little training at all in managing the business. And it's mm-hmm. incredible how many people find themselves in a position where they're managing the business e- either as a coordinator of services early on in their career or uh, directly as a manager and leader later on in their career. Yeah, I, I think that 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 really makes sense to me, especially as I, as I know, before I had any management training, and I know you have an MBA, before I had any of that training, you know, it was sort of feeling your way through it. <laughs> yes. And so I found myself um, fairly early in my career being a clinical coordinator for a 200-bed residential mental health rehab program with no training whatsoever. And that actually is what motivated me to get the MBA. And mm-hmm. that was part of our motivation, in, as I'm sure Marlene and Connie have mentioned, in putting together this whole series. Yeah. And, and I know, especially with, with other leaders and managers who, who don't even have that uh, psychological training you know, to lean on, it's, it's very hard for them to, to even understand how to lead themselves, how to lead others, how to manage the business. So if you don't have time to go and get a full MBA, what what do you need to know? <laughs> well, that's what, what I tried to put into uh, my part portion of this training. And it, it's really difficult <laughs> to boil it down mm-hmm. because, of course, an MBA is two years and, and I'm talking in um, three hours in this module when we do it. But I nevertheless, <laughs> was able to put together a few things that I thought were really basic. I, I start when I do this training by talking about an integrated resource management model. And, and there's four kinds of resources that a manager or leader manages. The first one now, is physical. So I'm going I'm to ask, so can you explain the integrated resource model for those of us that don't understand that? The integrated resource model is simply integrating the four types of resources. Mm-hmm. And the the four types of resources are the physical resources, like your building and your plant and your equipment. I don't talk about that at all. I don't really know anything about that. Mm -hmm. The second one is financial resources. And this Mm -hmm. is where many psychologists find themselves lacking. I go over basic documents and, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but just basic financial documents so that they have a sense of what it is. Um, The third is human resources, and this is where most psychologists shine. They typically have some kind of training in this area. And then organizational resources, such as having mission, vision, values, having a strategic Mm -hmm. plan, policies and procedures. 
And so when you integrate all of those, then you have good resource management. And that's just a quick, simple framework. Um, Most of the time is spent in this class in talking about the um, financial human resources and organizational resources. Yeah, I find that really helpful to even have a framework, I think, because even a lot of times when people are thrown into leadership and management, they don't even have that framework to to rely upon, to understand these are the things that I need to be paying attention to. Yes, exactly. And that's why I included it. I thought it would be helpful to to think about that. And I actually like participants to have a, a worksheet where they um, get this ahead of time. They get the list of what the four resources are and have them think about what are the, their strengths and their weaknesses in those four areas and, and any plans they might have about how to address them. Just, just so they are starting to think about this before they even get started. Right. Homework is always good, isn't it, when you're learning something new? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you mentioned financial was one of the ones that people really struggled with. Yes, yeah, and I can't go into all the... <laughs> Um, details about financial resources at all. But I do talk about why do you even need to know about financial resources? Because if you're going to be a a leader and a manager, you most certainly are likely to have a budget. Mm -hmm. You may even have to think about raising money. You may be wanting to add more employees. Certainly you have to pay your suppliers. You may want to expand. So there's a lot of reasons why managers and leaders need to know about financial resources. And then I simply like to talk about the um, balance sheet. Um, I think that that's really important for people to understand. And for people that are first-time managers, and that's who this class is dedicated to, Mm -hmm. um, they may have zero exposure to this. And I always tell them, think about getting yourself on a nonprofit board, uh, because then that is a great way to get easy exposure and to start understanding financial documents. Of course, that's, you can that's really good advice. Or classes, but this is a, a an easy start. Yeah, so you get experience on a, on the board, but you also get that knowledge and, and sort of training uh, without it actually being your your workplace. Right. And so the balance sheet is something you have to understand, and and the and the basics, of course, of a balance sheet are assets equal liabilities. Uh, it's, it's pretty simple. I'm not going to go into all of that. Uh, The other two documents I go over are the uh, income statement so that you you know where your income is is coming from and what your expenses are. And then also the cash flow statement. Um, The cash flow statement talks about um, operating activities, investing activities, financing. And this is almost always the most difficult one. It certainly was for me uh, for new managers to understand. But basically, the cash you have on hand at the beginning of the year and then the net increase or decrease is the cash you have at the end of the year. And this just shows the flow of that throughout Mm -hmm. the year. So for those of us who who aren't or those people who aren't familiar with this, with the financial aspect at all, the three documents that you absolutely have to learn how to read and understand are the balance sheet, the cash flow statement, and the income statement. Did I get that right? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. And then the most important thing that I talk about in the financial resources is budgeting. Uh, Mm. Because even if you don't understand those documents, if if you're the manager and you're in charge of a budget, 
you, you need to know some basic budgeting principles. <clears throat> now, yeah, one of the questions the that I've gotten one. before from, from people who aren't familiar with these things is why do they need a budget? You know, why, why do I need a budget in my business? Well, you're going to have, if you're lucky, you're going to have some revenue, some income in your budget. And that's uh, important because you're going to have some expenses, things that you're going to have to take care of. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, I have a very small consulting company and I have expenses such as a printer, such as office space, um, such as uh, travel when I uh, go somewhere to present or to do some consulting. And I need to budget that money so that I have enough income to cover my expenses and hopefully earn a little bit uh, beyond that. Mm-hmm. So it's really about planning ahead, right? Thinking ahead as to what are your, some of your expenses and making sure that you have enough money to cover those expenses. Yes. And, and if you're in it to make money, you obviously want to have uh, even more than that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so when you're doing budgeting, um, and this is true whether it's a small one or two person business or whether you're a part of a great big company with thousands or even tens of thousands of employees, um, the first thing you want to do is link your spending, your expenses to what your goals are. So there are many ways, using my little business as an example, that I could choose to spend my money. But it, it, it's most important to me that I, I link my spending to what my my goals are for my little company. So mm-hmm. I mentioned a printer. Obviously, I'm going to be doing, uh, when you do consulting work like I do, you'll be needing to print out documents and you'll be needing to look at documents. You absolutely have to have a printer. That's just a really simple example. Uh, you're going to need uh, probably a a survey monkey or some kind of survey service account. Mm -hmm. You're probably going to need a Zoom account. Those kinds of things are important to even carry out the basics of your business. Mm. So making sure that you're you're spending your money in ways that help you accomplish your business, first of all. Absolutely. That's probably the most important ones. Mm -hmm. Um, You want to prioritize those expenses and let go of the rest. <laughs> so I could I could say that I need some glamorous artwork for my office, or I, you know, there's many things you can think of that you could spend on that wouldn't be priorities. You just need to let them go. Yeah, you know, um, I, I like to always compare those to personal finances, right? We would we would love to have a lot of things in our in our lives, but you've got to you've got to pay your rent, right? You got to pay your um, your loans if you if you've got those. You got to pay your car payments if you've got those your credit card payments you, the things that you have to pay otherwise you're gonna get into trouble for essentially before yes. you go and buy the, the glamorous things yes exactly and if you're in a larger um or part of a larger organization then it's important that you have support throughout the organization for your budget so that means things like um, demonstrating the impact that your part of the organization is making demonstrating the good outcomes that you have and, and letting the folks uh, know above you that are supporting you um, that you're a worthwhile investment for them. Mm-hmm. So when you're large, when you're typically in a larger organization, your, your budget is, is given to you, right? From, from your bosses. It's not something that you, you, you give yourself. Is that, is that yes, right? If you're not, if you're not, in, you know, in a small business or an employee owned business, yes. It, if you're part of a big corporation, 
the budget flows from the top down to you. Okay. And then, and then, and then within that budget, it's your responsibility to make sure that you, as you said, pay those expenses that are necessary and, and prioritize your spending. Yes. Yes. I, I do like to remind people, especially when they're part of a larger organization, uh, many, many times you're going to have mandates, let's call them, from above to cut spending or to be careful with spending. And, and you want to be careful how you do that. It's very tempting to, first thing, if you're going to be required to make cuts, to cut travel and training, cut leadership development. Mm-hmm. And you need to be careful about that because that's the future of your your work group. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're a small part of the organization, and you want to make sure that employees do have appropriate um, training and leadership development services. So a, a better way is to think about imp- improving the return on investment on travel and training. So making sure that travel is absolutely necessary. Maybe you can do the leadership development or the training um, by Zoom or other media. Uh, Perhaps you can require that if anyone does attend training, that they report Mm -hmm. back to the group so that other people can learn from that training. There's ways to think about it other than just, oh no, we have to have a cross the board cut. Yeah, I I really appreciate what you're saying there in terms of really thinking about the return on your investment, thinking about what are you going to get for for the money that you spend, or what are you going to miss out on if you don't spend that money in that place? Exactly. Exactly. And sometimes it's in larger organizations, the, the first idea for budgets is, okay, we have to uh, fire people or lay them off and, and outsource everything. And sometimes that's absolutely necessary, but other times you can be more thoughtful, I would say, and more careful about it and hire your people carefully mm-hmm. so that you don't um, overhire in the first place and then have to lay off. I, I always like to have about when I was hiring about 75 to 85% of a job waiting for that person on the day they walk in, because there's just been so much extra work for the other employees that we mm-hmm. absolutely had to hire someone. Mm-hmm. So really waiting until you can, you can, you absolutely have to hire to so make sure that you're getting that return on investment for that person that you're hiring. Yes. Cause you don't want to be in a position where you have to let them go soon after you hire them. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's just a couple of thoughts that I, I like to share with people about budgeting and, and uh, financial resources. Another area that I talked about is uh, human capital. And there's a whole lot to say about that, my goodness. Um, <laughs> well, the thing I like to focus on is employee engagement because there's so much research um, showing that employee engagement is critical in uh, having good services or good products um, as, a, as an outcome from your organization. Yeah, I, 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 I really agree with that. I think as, I think of human resource as, as one of the most, if not the most critical resource in an organization, because without your people, you, you can't get anything done. Exactly. And, and, and I talk about that in, in my class and just about those exact terms. So uh, there's many, many ways to look at employee engagement. Um, in fact, the group that I worked with, the National Center for Organization Development, we had our own survey that engaged employee engagement, but many people won't have access to that. So that what I talk about is the Gallup Q12. The mm-hmm. Gallup Q12, it's, this is 
not an endorsement of Gallup or not saying it's better than anything else. It's just the most well-known. Mm. And, and they have 12 questions that they found empirically predict employee engagement. Now, one of the things I want to ask you about here, Dee, is, is, again, why is employee engagement important? Because I've had a lot of um, customers who are clients who, who really don't understand the, the importance of employee engagement, why they need to make their employees happy. They always say, well, I'm paying them, and so they should be happy. Well, well there is a ton of research showing that engaged employees will provide better customer service Engage employees will take fewer sick days, fewer absentee days, uh, will be um, much more productive for the company. Mm -hmm. One of the pieces of research I like best was done in the 90s, and it's called the service profit chain. And so they looked at, these researchers looked at what best predicts profit. And what they found best predicts profit was customer loyalty, which makes sense, right? Yep. It costs less to keep customers than it does to go out and get new customers. Absolutely. And then they looked at, gosh, what best predicts customer loyalty? Well, not surprisingly, and they looked through a lot of data, this was very scientific, um, was customer satisfaction. So if a customer mm -hmm. is satisfied with what they're getting, they're going to be loyal, and that's going to help make the company more profit. So yep. you can imagine the next step was to look at what best predicts customer satisfaction. <laughs> and what best predicts customer satisfaction is employee retention and productivity. And in what I, what I talk with people, this, this um, service profit chain, which ends with uh, more profit mm -hmm. is also applicable to what ends with, uh, with services that are not, profit driven. So nonprofits or government entities, mm -hmm. um, because what they're looking for, obviously, is customer satisfaction. If yeah. you're in a service industry, or you're in a government, you want your customers to be satisfied. And so mm -hmm. what's best going to predict that is employee retention of productivity. And then going back from there, what best predicts employee retention of productivity is, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. employee engagement. Yeah, I, I love the way that you've, you've drawn that picture from from employee engagement all the way to service and and to uh, the bottom line, right? In, in yes. industry, and so I think that's that's really important to to highlight and to make it known that we're not just talking about making employees happy for the sake of making employees happy. It, it impacts the bottom line. Absolutely, this was published in the Harvard Business Review, so they're very careful mm -hmm. <laughs> about what they publish, and they're also uh, admitting and and acknowledging that. You're in if you're a business for profit business, you're in business for profit. The, the last point I like to make about the service profit chain um, to me is fascinating and speaks to why we would even do a course like this. What best predicts employee engagement, and this is probably no surprise, is the behavior of the leader and the culture of the organization, the culture of the organization being set primarily by the leader. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's incredibly important to have knowledge of this um, as a leader. Yeah, I remember, I remember the, that quote, I think it's from Mark Drucker who said, culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? I think yes. That's <laughs> yes. So anyway, um, back to employee engagement. There's 12 questions and I go over those, but important to me is that 
what Gallup has consistently shown is that when you measure employee engagement, you have 20% basically often that are engaged employees. They work with passion. They're proud to be part of the organization. You have 60%, so the, the, the big middle, where the employees are not really engaged. They're not disengaged um, and they're clocked in and they're there, but they may be cognitively checked out. Hmm. Their productivity is moderate. Their initiative is low. Their morale is mediocre. It seems like a lot, 60%. It's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. And, and that's why, of course, your goal is to increase employee engagement rates to more than that. And then 20% are actively disengaged. And that means they are unhappy. They don't want to be there. And they're often acting out their unhappiness. They're maybe undermining the efforts of the <laughs> other employees or the, the yeah. boss or the company as a whole. And the analogy I use is think of this as a football team. Think of your work group as a football team. Can you imagine what it would be like if two of the players on your team of 11 were actively working for the other side? Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a very powerful analogy. I mean, I think especially thinking about how you, you need every member of the team to be on the same page and to be actively engaged in, in aiming for success. If you have if you have at least you know twenty percent of the team actively disengaged, that's I mean that's going to be hard to 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 be successful that way. Yes, exactly. You know, the next thing that I I talk about is strategic planning. <laughs> And this is something that many times people will say, I don't understand why strategic planning would be important. If they're in a large organization, they might say the budget comes down from the top and I, I just don't, it doesn't matter what I do or how, how I think ahead, I'll, I'll get what I'm going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're in a, a very small business or self-employed, they sometimes think, um, golly, all my time has to be sent getting developing business. I don't have time yeah. to think of, of strategy. And and to those in the smaller businesses, I would say you, you absolutely need to think about strategy. <laughs> and the, the tighter your budget is, the more you need it. Mm-hmm. To, to those strategic planning, so you know where to prioritize your budget and your efforts. To those who are in larger companies and say that their budget will come down, However, it does, and they have no say over it. I say, well, first of all, you need to be more active and speak up much more actively about that. But secondly, um, if that is indeed true, then strategic planning is more critical than ever because when there is an opening, and there will be occasional open windows, you need to know exactly ahead of time what your mm-hmm. strategy is, what your priorities priorities are, and where to put that um, those efforts. And those yeah, resources. I really, I really appreciate that. I, want, I do a lot of work in strategy, and one of the usually the very first thing I've got to do is help an organization, the people in the organization, understand why they should spend the energy and time and effort to engage in strategic planning because they've got so many things going on. You know, why should they spend the time sitting around talking, trying to figure out where they want to go and and how they're going to get there? And it's always a challenge, uh, but once we do it, they find it really beneficial and really want to continue doing it. Yes. I, I find exactly the same thing. Those are great observations. So I, 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 after I talk about why you'd even do it, then um, I talk about different types of strategic planning. Normally, there are um, two reasons that 
people do strategic planning, they're going to focus on two areas. They're going to focus on operational effectiveness, like using quality improvement to perform activities better, cheaper, faster mm-hmm. than their competition, or strategic positioning, where they're going to do something different from their competitors or perform similar things, but in different ways. So this just basically people are wanting to do something better than their competition so that they um, stick out, make more revenue, whatever their um, bottom line is. Mm -hmm. There are three generic strategies um, for competition. Um, One is to be the low cost leader. That is really difficult um, because it often leads a race to the bottom to get lower and lower and lower cost things. And and only one person can have the absolutely lowest cost. And of course- And just maintain the quality that's required, yep. Yes, and and of course in today's environment, you have Walmarts, you have Costco's, you have Aldi's, you have, you know, it's hard, it's gonna be very hard to beat those great big companies. A second generic strategy is differentiation, where you you want to differentiate yourself by having a high-end product, a premium qu- product, a very high-quality product. Um, most consultancies would say that that's what they like to do. Mm-hmm. And then uh, focus, where you specialize in a specific area or a specific segment. So uh, using examples, I'll say, from clothing. Mm-hmm. You're a cost leadership in clothing. You might you might be Walmart, mm. so you you offer clothing at the lowest possible cost. If you're differentiating um, where you want high end premium, you might be um, a boutique or designer clothes. And on focus, focusing on a specific area, maybe you only focus on kids clothes or maternity clothes, a specific segment. Yeah, I, I I love I love the and these are generic uh, strategies, but I I love the the fact that you're you're giving us some options to think about uh, for for new leaders because again, new leaders typically have not been exposed to this sort of um, information, right? And I think it's this is where this is where the integrated nature of your your model comes into play because you got to be thinking about what are our strategies? Do we have the budget to to help us achieve the right um, the right strategy? We have the resources to help us, you know, to, to get where we need to get in terms of the human resources. So this is where the, I can see now where the integrated nature of this comes into play. Yes. And, and you know, most first time managers or leaders are not going to be uh, thinking about their generic strategies for cost leadership and, and <laughs> focused leadership and, and positioning and so on. But it's good to have that overall um, framework. Mm-hmm. Because at some point, you may find yourself in a leadership position where you are determining that for an, a larger organization. Um, I like to focus on strategic planning, though, because I feel like every level of the organization should do that, whether it's a small business or you're part of a great big organization. Mm-hmm. Basically, you're determining where the organization is going over the next couple of years, several years, probably five um, strategic planning these days tends to be done for five years, how it's going to get there and how it's going to know if it got there. Yeah, the metrics are really important, I think, because I think that those are one of the things that we can use to, to guide and judge success, right? Those progress metrics as well as those outcome metrics. 
Yes. If, if you don't have the outcome measures for your strategic plan, you're missing a great big important part of it. It's really important for you to be able to report back when you're doing strategic planning and implementing your plan, what you wanted to get done in terms of hard outcome measures and what you actually accomplished and, and how that's improving along the way. The first thing, the foundation of any strategic plan is the mission, the vision, the values. And, and of course, the mission is what the organization does and with, with whom and, and why they do it. That, that time frame usually is pretty broad. It, the, the time frame, I, I sometimes say, can be forever. You know, if you're a, a dental school, to use an example of a group, couple of groups I'm working with right now, um, in strategic planning, your, your mission pretty much is to educate future dentists and take care of patients mm-hmm. and improve the oral health of your um, state or your area. That's pretty much the mission. The vision then is what the organization will look like in an ideal future. This is meant to be inspirational and aspirational. And yeah, the time frame is usually about five years. And what do you want to accomplish in those five years? And then the values are core values that you use as foundation for the mission and vision and the strategic plan. And usually an organization, they can get carried away, but most organizations have like between five and 10 values. And those yeah, are, I think that's, yeah. I think that's really important to have as an organization because as, as the, as the new manager or leader, it's the thing that you, you really want to have your employees rally around, right? The, the mission and the vision and the values to make sure that you're creating the culture of the organization that will help you be successful. Absolutely. And that's why we call it the foundation of the strategic plan. It, it should help guide your employees in, in how they're going to act. The, the, the mission, well, most, most employees will already know their mission, uh, but the vision, what, what is the organization aiming for? What do they want to look like in the future? It's really nice for employees, every single employee to understand that and to be working toward that. And the values is how they work toward that. And oftentimes, you know, the first in value might be something like integrity. Um, yeah, I think that's that's such a critical point you're making there in terms of every employee needing to know that and having that top of mind. And I think I've worked with organizations where, you know, the, the mission, the vision and values exist, but nobody really knows what they are and nobody really pays attention to them. One of the third, first things we always want to do is make sure that we're communicating that, over communicating that, and making sure that people understand it and can really identify with it on a regular basis. Exactly. And so every communication, every strategic plan needs a, a well thought out communication plan, which is one of the primary things I try and focus on too when talking about strategic planning. Yeah. I also, I'm, I'm realistic. Um, and so I, I do like to tell people there are some downsides um, to strategic planning and some some uh, traps that you can fall in. A common mistake, the most common mistake and the most common reason that strategic plans don't work out is that leadership is not committed. Mm. So if you're leading a, a group within a larger organization, if the folks above you aren't committed to it, or you, even worse, you yourself as the leader of this group aren't committed to it, the employees will know that, they'll see that, and they will follow suit. Mm. 
So uh, getting leadership committed to it is really important and getting leadership to actively demonstrate that commitment. And of course, if you're in a larger organization and you're running a part of it, it's nice to have your boss come to, say, the kickoff meeting, um, the meeting where you introduce it to all your employees and, and so on. It's not that your your boss in that mm-hmm. situation would be actively doing the plan or completing the plan or anything like that, but just showing that they're um, committed to it, they believe in it, and they're going to help the leader of that group follow through. Yeah, they're going to give you that support that you need in order to, to reach that. And I think one of the things that I always think is always important is is identifying or picking your goals and your objectives very carefully, right? Because I think you want to pick things that are attainable, can be a little bit of a stretch, but also you want to make sure that they're reasonably attainable so that people can actually be engaged in, in trying to reach those goals. Yes. You, you want to have a vision that's aspirational, uh, but if your vision is so out of touch with the reality that it's way too hard, that's mm-hmm. not going to work either. Yeah. It, it's really important after you have the mission, vision, values that the strategic plan works on the priorities. The bulk of the strategic plan is is having usually three to five priorities that you're going to work on to obtain your vision. And then underneath these priorities, you you have goals within that priority and then the tactics that you're going to undertake to achieve your goals. So that really creates a nice plan for you to be able to follow then and for your employees to be able to follow it. Yes, absolutely. Um, probably the biggest um, problem that organizations face is that related to strategic planning after leadership that's not committed is that they've done strategic planning before. They put a ton of time and effort into it. They probably even made a beautiful document. They showed it to the employees one time, put it on the shelf and never followed through. And yeah. so that is really demoralizing to employees and they don't want to get after that again. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've seen that many times where it's, yes. it's something that just sits, sits on the shelf collecting dust and people know they have one, but they don't really know what it is and nobody references it. And I think this is why it's really important that as the leaders have meetings, they're always referencing it back to this, the strategic goals of the priorities and then seeing the progress that they're making towards those that they've set. Absolutely. And in a large organization, you have to make sure that the leaders of those smaller outfits are doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk next about um, organizational change, Mm -hmm. change management. Uh, And and the reason I like to talk about this is this is part of the organizational capital. And you can make the most beautiful strategic plan ever invented, communicate it beautifully, and start working on it. But if you're not managing change, you're going to have a hard time bringing that strategic plan to life and making it follow through and making it work for your organization. And there is a lot of research now that's been done. This this is a newer field. Um, This is a lot of research that's been done in change management so that there are, are principles you can follow as a manager or leader when, when you're undertaking change. And boy, I tell you, most organizations are undertaking change these days, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it's really not an option. It's, it's every organization pretty much is experiencing change and having to adapt, especially since COVID. Right. It, it, ex- exactly. 
when I talk about change, I, I, sh I show the group a model that a, a member of the Society of Psychologists and Leadership uh, invented, basically. Mm. And it, it, it's a graphic that's really interesting. He, he shows how the, this is Arthur Friedman, by the way, and he shows how the change affects the productivity and the impact of the group. And he talks about as you're planning the change, you see um, productivity and engagement go down a little bit. And the reason is many times there's no communication about it. Everybody knows something's going to change. Everybody knows the, the higher ups are talking about it, but they don't know what it is and they're uncertain and, and they're, they're worried. Mm -hmm. And so productivity goes down a little bit. Then you start implementing a plan, the plan, the change, whatever it is. And if you're doing something new, you can absolutely expect performance to go down, right? When you try something new, you're not going to be as good as you were doing it the old way. It's going to be, um, if, unless there's so little change, you don't even notice it. And then why bother? So you see performance go down. But mm -hmm. then if you apply good change management principles, you will see performance go up as employees begin to accept the plan. And then ideally, hopefully, of course, in, uh, functioning or performance, productivity will go above the baseline levels as employees really become engaged with the new way of doing things. So that's really interesting. So as, as you're pointing out, when you apply a change, a, a dip in performance is to be expected Absolutely. Um, but to get out of that dip, to, to increase the efficiency overall requires you to be, make sure that you're applying the appropriate change management principles to, make, to be able to help those employees learn the new approach and hopefully be more efficient in that new approach. Absolutely. And you know, Ernest, many um, companies made, especially larger companies, have their own model of change management um, but perhaps not because this is a newer area and smaller companies certainly wouldn't mm -hmm. have the resources to develop their own model. So what I talk about is the pro-sci model of change. Um, again, just like with Gallup, this is not an endorsement. This is not saying they're the best or the only, the only one you should consider. It's just one that having looked at um, is readily available. It's the leading, um, I guess you'd say, for-profit model out there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And it's based on research. So, mm -hmm. so that model talks about the three corners of a, a, a triangle or three-legged stool, however you want to look at it. Change management, the basic change management principles that, that I'll mention in a minute. Project management, and I'm not going to talk about that at all, but you, as you know, project management is its own discipline and seems to be getting bigger and more important every year. Yep. And then the third uh, corner of the triangle or the third leg of the stool is, is the leadership. Mm -hmm. So once again, leadership being critical um, to change management, absolutely critical. And the reason, now I hate to bring this up, but I, I always tell people this, about two thirds to 70% of change projects fail. And the number one reason is lack of active support by the leader. So... No, let's. Just, I want to make sure we, we we hear that correctly. So, the, you're saying two thirds of change projects, about two thirds of change projects, change, uh, fail, and yes. and a big reason for that is the lack of appropriate leadership support. Yes. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's a that's a shocking yeah. number. 
Yes. It, it, it's scary, isn't it? It's scary yeah. to think about undertaking a, a change, but then also think about the most common, and you may have experienced this, I certainly have experienced this, the most common way of enacting changes for the boss to say things have changed and you'll do this now. Yeah. <laughs> right? They haven't That's thought about training. Yeah. Yeah. They haven't thought about getting feedback. They haven't thought about preparing people. They, And so on and so on and so on. Yeah, I think that's one of those things where, where where leaders who don't have the appropriate training or understanding think that that's how it works, right? I'm the leader. I say change, and, and people, you know, make the change. Right. So th- this model is a really good one for understanding all the activities that that underlie that. So the model has the the, the leadership on 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 in one corner, then you have change management one on one corner, and then you have project management on the other corner. So that's the the triangle. Right. And the, they talk about the successful change building blocks, which I kind of like. It's the uh, you can think of it as the stages of change, mm-hmm. um, and, and of course, there's many scientific models. So Prochaska de Clemente being the first and, and most well known in the uh, psychology literature. This yep. is just sort of rewording this in common everyday language and, and common sense principles. So if you're going to change, the first thing you need is awareness. You need to know that there's a reason you need to change. Otherwise, why would you? Yeah. And then once you're aware of it, the second building block is desire. You need to have a desire to change. You have to want to change. If there's no, if you don't have that desire, you're not going to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you have awareness and desire, then you start to need um, knowledge. How do you change? Ability. What are the skills that you need to do this new behavior? And then the last building block is, of course, reinforcement. Once the change has been made, you need to sustain it. So I think yeah. that's a good way for people to think about um, the stages of change and the, the skills building blocks to make it successful. It really makes sense in terms of the change experience as well. Yes, absolutely. So just to talk a little bit about um, some of the things that you you need to think about when you're managing change as a, a manager or leader in the planning phase. <clears throat> this is so basic, but I'm going to say it anyway. You have to plan before you implement the change. You have to think it through. You have to think it out. You have to know what you want, know where you're going and know the steps to get there. Uh, it helps if you understand why you're changing as the mm-hmm. leader so that you can explain it. You know, Uh, Research shows that when it comes to the overall why for change, that's the first thing people need want to know. Why do we want to do this? And they actually want to hear that from the top leader. Um, They know that the top leader has the the bigger vision, has has, um, sight of outside uh, entities, and is responsible for the strategy of the company. They want to hear the reason why from the top leader. I think that's that's really critical, and I've worked with organizations where very often the top leader doesn't know or that can't clearly communicate the why, and then they haven't done the work of communicating that with the managers because when the managers are asked why, they don't have the answer. Exactly so. And of course, ideally, you can have the top leadership address every employee in the company um, about the why. And then uh, the direct supervisors that's where employees want to get their information of the how for them what exactly are they going to do right what what needs to change for me in the the work that i do yeah right so we were talking about communicating the why 
um, that helps address people's uncertainty and, and concern and hesitation um, as the planning stage is going on. And so it, it's really important there if the leader can use when they're communicating the why data or stories or emotional mm-hmm. appeal to communicate the need. Um, we are storytelling, story loving species. <laughs> we relate to stories. <laughs> And then there's a few more scientific types that want to hear data. So a good leader will use a little bit of both and connects the vision for change to what people value. And and that can really be a potent way for communicating and and getting people to move into awareness and then into desire for change. Well, there's just so much information here that you've shared and I think it's really helpful. I really appreciate that you've, you've condensed a, a two-year program into three into three hours, uh, and then been able to, to condense that for us in the in the last forty or forty-five minutes or so. I know that we didn't get through nearly all, all of the information, but I think what you've done is really help new leaders and managers really get a better sense of the the, the things that they need to understand in terms of the physical resources, the financial resources, the human resources, and the, and the organizational resources. And and just in in while you were talking, it just became clear how all of those are so well integrated. How leaders need to understand that that integration is critical to success. I, I hope so. Uh, certainly, that's the point of why we put this program together. And, and I look at it and think, oh, I would have loved to have had this when I started my first management job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me ask D. So I always like to ask, what's what's what would you say is one of the the takeaway here? If, if people are only going to remember one thing, what's the what, what's the one tip here that you would you recommend? Oh goodness. Probably uh, when I think about this managing the business uh, portion of it, I think about the need for a strategic plan, a solid strategic plan, and really good change management principles to implement it. After all, as I often say (laughs) to new leaders, nobody is going to say, wow, that Ernest is a great leader. He came into this organization and he kept things exactly the same as they've been (laughs) for the last 10 years. No, they're looking for the leader to improve things. Yeah, and so strategic planning and, and change management are two good ways to to get to that. Excellent. I think those are those are excellent tips. Yeah, I know people are going to want to conver- continue the conversation with you. How, how do they get a hold of you? How do they get in touch with you? Uh, well, I, I'm at um, Ramsel Consulting, so I can be reached at www.ramselconsulting.com or. My phone is 513-413-2386, or they can submit a form on my website, ramsleconsulting.com. Great. Dee, I want to thank you so much for coming on and, and talking about uh, you know, managing the business. I think this is this is such a critical thing that, that leaders and, and new managers need to have. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share a little bit of, of your knowledge and experience with us. Thanks for inviting me back. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Awesome. And to our listeners, we hope you will join us next time.